if you were to, invited to uh, Harry and Meghan's wedding, I assume you'd uh, turn up and follow the protocols. That was part of the fun of watching the wedding on TV. All these people doing the right thing, following protocols, behaving in a fitting and appropriate way that needed to honour Harry and Meghan, but also it needed to honour the Crown, didn't it? You wouldn't want to not do that. For anything less would be poor form. It would be cringeworthy. It would be embarrassing, ugly. It would be just a terrible look, I think. Uh, So too, the Christian, the one who claims to follow Christ, yet lives a pattern of life that is contrary, unfitting, inappropriate to the faith they profess. That's what we find here in the first verse of Ephesians chapter 4. We've had three chapters of telling us about the wonder of God's grace, uh, his kindness. Every blessing has been poured out. And here comes the response. Did you see it in verse 1? Verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Uh, Hear this clearly. Paul is not talking about earning merit. The reverse is true. It's God's grace always his grace that we met in the first three chapters it's God's grace that comes first and it is God's grace that produces this new life our lives as a Christian our lives are to give practical expression and visible illustration to the power and reality of God's grace at work in us. As recipients of God's grace, our lives change and they transform, no longer conforming to the pattern of the world, the old pattern, but instead a new pattern in Christ. See, it's the classic Bible study question, isn't it? How does your life give practical expression to the reality of Christ at work in your life? If you've never heard that in Bible study, then you haven't been going to Bible study long enough. Or maybe the question is, does your life conform to the pattern of Christ or to the pattern of sin? In Christ... We are called to a life that reflects our new family name. We are Christians. We are Christ's ones. Seven times in three verses, the word one is repeated here, which takes us back to chapter two, doesn't it? Where we heard in chapter two that he has brought together those who were once alienated, once strangers, not just from God, but from each other, and Christ has made them one. One. The two have become one. 
And so we are to live as one because in Christ we are It's not oneness regarding our personal agenda. It's not oneness in culture or oneness in tradition or oneness in whatever your particular bent happens to be. It's not oneness at any cost. This isn't universalism. This is oneness in the truth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So what does that look like? How are we to do that? Well, verse 2 tells us, be completely humble. (laughs) Oh dear, who wants to keep going? Uh, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Do these words describe you? Do these words describe me? Who, who, Who do they describe? See, Matthew 11 is a bit interesting, isn't it? Because in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, Jesus says in verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you... Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am... I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Uh, These words describe Jesus, don't they? Thank goodness for that. Who is humble and gentle and patient and forbearing. This is an encouragement to be more like Jesus. See, how are we to live a life worthy of the calling? We're to be Christ-like people. That's not hard, is it, to understand? Much harder to apply. And that's the first thing. The first thing is we are to be Christ-like paper people. The second thing is, in verses 3 to 6, the second thing is that it says that we're to be Christ-like people together in unity. Later in verse 13, Paul will speak about the unity we have in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And so again, this isn't unity for unity's sake, just for the sake of getting on, where everything becomes permissible then. This is a positive agreement and unity in truth. And it's the truth about Jesus. It's the truth about the Son of God that we are to agree about as together we live lives as Christians, as Christ's church. And this is the burden of John chapter 17, verse 21 to 23. If you know the Lord as he's praying in the garden, it's all there. You can look at that later. Jesus' prayer at that time is that his people would be united in the truth about him. And Paul again is on about the same thing. So verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This unity of truth of Christian people, the people of God, is so super important to the Apostle Paul. You can see that from the list that follows. That This list that comes next is the basis of appeal that we might be united in the truth. Look at verse 4. There is one body and 
one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see all those repeated references to the number one. It's a bit hard to miss, isn't it? So Christian maths works like this. One plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one equals one. Very good. Full marks. 100%. Is there there a more basic, all-embracing unity than this? That we are to be united together in the truth about our Lord Jesus Christ. The key to our unity, the key to our oneness, is Christ Jesus himself and his cross, chapter 2, verse 16, only in him and through him are we reconciled to God. Which brings us to the third thing. As Christ-like people together in unity... Christ has given us gifts. Gifts. The ascended king has given us gifts. What kind of gifts? Well, let's look at verses 7 to 12. Actually, before we do that, let's think about coronations first. You know what a coronation is, don't you? When a king king or a queen ascends to the throne. That's the the language, isn't it? And what happened when uh, Queen Elizabeth II gave, uh, was uh, coronated? Do we know what gifts she gave? In 1953, across the Commonwealth, teenagers got Bibles. What a wonderful gift. I think she's a legend. I think she made Gideon's redundant for that year. Uh, what a wonderful gift. Uh, That's what happens at coronations. I don't know if you're old enough to remember that coronation. If you're willing to admit that. Who's old enough to remember the one before that? King George. (laughs) That's going back a bit. Is Bert here? Maybe he might. Uh, I'll sledge him at 9.30. It's all right. Here, Paul wants you to read these verses in light of Christ's ascension to the throne. This is about Jesus. And his ascension to the throne. He wants you to see the crowning, the coronation of Christ who has ascended and is seated upon the throne. So what are the gifts of Christ, the ascended king? What gifts does Christ bestow on his church? Well, one is the gift of the Holy Spirit. We heard that in John 14 that Tinica read out for us. The Holy Spirit... The very presence of God who dwells in our hearts. Jesus promised it. And we know that we have the Spirit because we know that when we think about God, we think about a Father. And we pray to God as Father with confidence that He is our Father. That is a sign to us that we have the Spirit because we call out to God, Abba Father. That's Romans, isn't it? And we call Jesus Lord, don't we? You can't really do that sincerely unless you have the Spirit of God. 
And this is how we think, isn't it, as Christians? We think of God as Father and Jesus as Lord. And they're two basic evidences of the Spirit at work in you. And they're also evidence of the ascension of Christ. But his gifts are also gifts of ministers. Can you believe that? Ministers to the church. That's also evidence of Christ's ascension. Those who serve God's people with a ministry of the word are Christ's gift to his people. Well, I'll have to prove that, won't I? Look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned. So there's unity and diversity. But this is what it says. Here comes Psalm 68. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Paul says that's now about Jesus giving gifts to his people as the ascended king. And what does the ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? That could mean his death. It just could mean that he was incarnated and become man. He, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. The ascension. That's a day in our calendar, isn't it? And what did he do? Verse 11 so Christ himself, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. There he is. There's the king giving gifts. Apostles can just mean a sent one. Apostolic authority, when we think of people like John and Peter, Apostolic authority refer and Paul, don't leave him out, we know how he gets about that. Uh, apostolic authority refers to being sent by the resurrected Christ. The apostles were trained by him, they were commissioned by him, they were equipped by him, they were sent by Jesus as missionaries, they served with his authority. And their job was to provide authentic authoritative witness to Christ such that their word was Christ's word to the world and we find their words here on our laps open and here you are reading them and receiving them as the very words of God to you and that is Christ's gift to the church but more than that prophets also had a ministry that complemented the apostles and so in the early church, as the canon of Scripture is being expanded and eventually completed, as the Bible's being put together, so to speak, God gave special people special gifts to guide his people and to fill the gap, so to speak. Does that make sense? But I should add that prophets also have the Spirit-given capacity to understand Scripture and to apply truths of Scripture to people's hearts. And sometimes preaching is downright prophetic. Apostles and prophets are Christ's gift to his church, as are evangelists, as are pastors and teachers, or pastor teachers. Pastor teachers could be one thing. 
They, these last three are more local than the first two and they're typically located in the congregation. And their word ministry, according to Paul in verse 12, what does it lead to? Why does Christ send them as gifts? Well, they lead to the upbuilding of the congregation to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. Here is why the risen, ascended king has given these gifts. It's so that the congregation of God's people might be built up in their Christian understanding and in their unity together in the knowledge of Christ, in the truth of Christ. So look at verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There it is again. There's the goal, that we might be Christ-like. That's what the fullness of Christ means. When you think, what does it mean to have the fullness of Christ? It means to be Christ-like. We are to be built up, uh, not torn down. We are to be built up in unity and in truth in regards to the Lord's Je Lord Jesus Christ. And to that end, Christ the Ascended King has given us his spirit, he's given us his word, and he's given us ministers of the word uh, to do that, to do the building up. Here's the fourth thing. Christ has given ministers of the word to be a source of the upbuilding of the congregation in Christ. Okay, so hold on to that. But this passage also tells us that each one of us has a ministry as well. Maybe you didn't see that coming. But did you see it in verse 12? We're to equip and prepare God's people for works of service. Which means that everybody has the potential for ministry. We are God's people, each of us, in Christ Jesus. We are the saints. We're members of the body like everyone else. We're foot soldiers, if you like. And we all have ministry given to us and those who are, who are our ministers that Christ has given to us, their task is to prepare Christ's church, to build them up and to equip them, equip God's people to serve. And in partnership together, these lead to the mutual upbuilding of everybody. But look again at verse 12. Because that word equip, it literally means mend. That's funny, isn't it? Where in the Gospels are people about the task of mending? Is that on the shores of Galilee? Jesus walks along and he sees the disciples. What are they doing to their nets? They're, they're mending their nets. That's right. They're, they're repairing their nets. They're putting their nets back together because they're not working with cord and knots. Can you see them with, their, with their, the fishermen's hands working away at the nets, working hard, getting it right so the net doesn't fail? And this is the sense here that people are actually mended, healed, healed in heart, 
healed in mind as they're nurtured through the word. This tells me that we who are Christians here in the church, whose ministers are equipping, we are reminded here that the church, <laughs> the church is not a bunch of upwardly mobile, got it together, overachievers. That's not who we are. We are reminded here that the church is more like a hospital if we need mending. What's the old word for minister? Curate? Curate means curer of souls. That sounds like the work of mending, doesn't it? It's a reminder to us that in our own way, each of us needs mending. We each stand in need of healing of heart and healing of mind. And it is the task of ministry to bring that healing to God's people through the ministry of God's word. Pastoral, preaching, teaching, training, equipping, mending, all of it. And it's on the basis of people who have been put back together again, because that's what we are, and in the process of being mended and healed, that's what I hope we are, it's on the basis of people like that that we exercise our ministry. In other words, there's no triumphalist picture here at all. There's no triumphalist picture here at all. It is a picture of a work of restoration which is being done in our hearts and lives which is in turn then the basis of our ministry to one another. We're all a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. And our job is one of healing and mending. And hopefully your ministers are equipping you to be a part of that. And it's a partnership. And sometimes that partnership is painful. And hard. And sometimes that partnership is a complete and utter joy. If the ministers are about mending, what is everybody else's part? Verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. For from him... The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The truth that is about the Lord Jesus Christ, about his death on the cross for our sins, his resurrection, his ascension, his coming again, as we together, as we share in fellowship in that truth which our ministers teach us about and prepare us for, it is in that way that in all things we grow up into him who is the head, who is Christ. Coming to terms with the truth about Jesus is super important and it's a great way to avoid being confused and being tossed around at every whim and fancy, verse 14, which people have a propensity to do. But verse 15 tells us that instead of being confused 
and immature and unstable. Instead, we're to pursue verse 15, to speak the truth in love, to grow, to become in every respect mature, the mature body of him who is the head Christ. That's us. What a beautiful picture. For from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. See how stable it is. It grows, it thrives, and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Each of us has our part to play. As together we speak the truth in love, the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ in love to one, in love to one another. So, let us walk worthily, Christ-like. Let us walk in unity, unity in, in the truth about the Son of God. Let us be the answer to the prayer of our Lord Jesus, that his people would be united in the truth about him. Let us be thankful for the gifts of our ascended King, the Spirit, the Word, faithful ministers of the Word, all signs that our king is on the throne. And let us be partners together, mended, healed, equipped for ministry, reaching out to one another in love and sharing the truth about Jesus with one another. Let his body be strong and growing and beautiful in truth, expressed in love through our ministry together, all to his praise and glory. Amen.